Well, we are still in Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, as a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 6 is going to be where we're at for the next two weeks, maybe even a third week. I'm not sure. I'm still praying about it. There's just too much here to just glance, gloss over it. So I want to just read the very first seven verses in Isaiah chapter 6 again, just to get ourselves back into this thought process. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, this is what we looked at last week, was the holiness of God and how, how awesome He is. But this is the next section that has gripped my soul and has not left me alone all week long. Verses 5 through 7. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the fire, and with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. I am a man of unclean lips. I got bad breath. I got gross. How many of you people have ever seen somebody who really struggles with oral hygiene? I mean, truly. And you see the, the grunge that's around the base of their teeth. And there's even maybe even something green from the last time they had lettuce or something. And it, it's kind of nasty. It really is nasty to think about. I knew someone back when I first joined the military, and this person was shocked when the dentist said that he wasn't properly caring for his teeth, and he cleaned his teeth for the very first time in his life. And this guy had gaps between his teeth because there was so much junk in there that had been accumulating through the years that it really pushed his teeth apart. And it was like... How in the world can you live with your mouth like that? That's disgusting. But they're totally oblivious. They have not got a clue that they're allowing their mouth to be like that. And it's apparent to me, but it's not to them. And I don't honestly understand how they can look in the mirror in the morning and not see it. But I, I see it. Many times, I, I won't name names obviously because that would be totally inappropriate. Nobody in the room. Nobody in the room. Okay? <laughs> now everybody's like, ah, let me go out and get the toothpick out. But, no, but the reality is, isn't that disgusting, honestly? And how could somebody be blind to it? I mean, I would think that they would know it. But that's the thing. When you get used to that grunge that's in there, you're not aware of it. It's like, it doesn't exist. I can remember one time I got a temporary filling, not excuse me, a temporary crown, and there was a slightly rough spot on that temporary crown, and it drove me nuts. It drove me 
nuts. And I had to wear that crown for a couple months while they were waiting for my crown because I was living over in England and everything had to go through the mail and it took forever. And I, I was just like, I won't get this thing out of my mouth. I can't stand it. But after about a week, I didn't even notice it anymore. It just became part of my normal life. And then when they took the temporary crown out and put in the real crown, I was amazed how smooth and slick that new crown was. And I was like, how in the world did I ever live with that other filthy, nasty, grungy, you know, scraping my tongue thing in my mouth? But I had gotten used to it. And see, that's what I want to talk to us about this morning, this idea of this issue of a clean mouth. I mean, I find it really interesting that Isaiah uses this terminology. When you come into the presence of God, what's the very first thing you do? You check your breath. No, but that's what he seems to be saying. Oh my God, I'm in the presence of God and I've got a dirty mouth. Would that be your first thought? But you see, he's not speaking of his physical mouth. Okay? I've got some people stationed in the service. Um, who has James chapter 3? Is that uh, Ruth? Okay. Did you read that for me? James 3, 9 and 12. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt produce fresh water. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with that same tongue, we curse human beings. I'm guilty. You've heard the expression, you eat with that mouth? I'm guilty. But you see, it's more than just the words. It's not just the words. It's not just my tongue. Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 to 20 says, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from their heart. Those are the words of Jesus. And they defile. The things that come out of our mouth are actually coming from our heart and it's showing defilement. That's why Isaiah responded in the way that he did when he stood in the presence of the triple holy God. Oh my God. I did not have a clue how vile I am until I stood in the presence of all holiness and purity. But when I compared myself to the Lord God Almighty, I recognized in real... Now this is a man who has been preaching 
For the first five chapters of this book, he's been proclaiming the word of God. But get a preacher into the presence of God, and the very first thing he recognizes is that he's got a heart condition. And if a preacher who supposedly is 100% sold out for God on a daily basis, who gives up their normal goals and dreams and wishes because God puts a call on their life, and then they come and they minister in whatever community God sends them to, if they can have that kind of a heart issue, hmm, isn't it likely that there's some people sitting in the pews this morning who might also have an issue with a bad mouth? Meaning a bad heart? Now again... I'm not talking to any person in this room, and that is not my goal. But my understanding is is that as I've wrestled with this passage of Scripture, just these, these three verses, Woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm from a people of unclean lips. And I've seen the Lord God Almighty, and I'm going to die. When I first started this week just chewing on these verses, I wrote a note to myself. It was just a, just a thought. It wasn't trying to come up with answers. It was just trying to wet my process, just get things going, get the juices flowing. And this is what I wrote in my journal. Where does this atonement process, okay? Because what happened? The seraph went and took a coal from the altar and brought it to Isaiah and burned his lips and his words were your sin is forgiven you have been atoned purged burned cleansing fire so my thought was where does this atonement process of using fire fit in with my understanding of the sacrificial system established during Moses' time. I mean, literally, what does it mean that an angel, a seraph, took a coal from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips to purge them? What is the significance? What is the symbolism here? What am I seeing? How can I chew on this further and understand basically why, why it's here and what, it, what happened? Well, the very first thing that I was led to in my study was Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. No, no, fourth book, excuse me. Genesis, yeah, third book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And chapter 16. And chapter 16 deals with a specific day in the, or festival in the uh, life of the community of the nation of Israel. And it is the Day of Atonement. Normally the Day of Atonement in our calendar falls in sometime in September. Sometimes late, late August, but generally sometimes in September. And I don't have time this morning to read to you the entire chapter, but sometime this week it would be good for you to go ahead and do that. But you need to understand that basically what happens is the the high priest of the nation of Israel has to go in once a year into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is and has to offer a blood sacrifice to atone for, to bring cleansing for all of the sins of the nation of Israel. And the way the process works is this. The high priest first offers a, a sacrifice for himself on his own behalf. In other words, he lays his hand on the head of the animal that's to be sacrificed and he confesses his own sin. Then the animal is sacrificed. Then the blood is carried into the Holy of Holies and the blood is dipped onto 
the, uh, the, the table that's holding the Ark of the Covenant. But when he goes into that Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, behind the veil, okay, he literally takes some coals from the altar of incense, which is on the other side of the veil, and he fills a censer, which is just a, a container. And if, you may have seen some of the higher church people that have these bronze or brass censers filled with incense, and there's smoke billowing, billowing out of the holes in the metal thing, and it's on a chain, and they're just waving it back and forth and call, forming a screen, if you will, of incense or smoke. What happens is, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer a sacrifice on his behalf, to offer blood on his behalf, so his sins would be atoned for. He walks in with this censer filled with incense that's burning and causing smoke, and then he flicks some blood onto the altar, I mean, onto the Ark of the Covenant, and then he walks back out. He is now atoned. The next thing that happens is there are two goats that have been selected, and in one case, there's a goat <coughs> that they lay their hands on, the elders of the nation lay their hands on them, and they pronounce all of the sins of the people of the nation of Israel, and then that goat is literally led out into the wilderness and released, symbolizing all of the sins are being removed from the people and set off into the wilderness, set off into the, the netherworld, never to be seen again. And then the high priest then takes the other goat, and again, and then on behalf of the nation of Israel, please atone for our sins. They sacrifice that goat, and then again he takes that censer, and he goes into the Holy of Holies with the smoke billowing in front of him, and he takes the offering, the blood from the offering for the people, and again, anoints the, the, the area back there, and then goes out. And so that's the Day of Atonement. All of the sins are forgiven for the last year, and they are now starting fresh. What's the significance of the incense? Why did he have to carry the incense both times when he went in to offer the blood sacrifice in the presence of God? Human beings cannot see God and live. So he had to bring with him a holy shield, if you will. There is a cleansing, yes, that takes place. There is a cleansing. This is part of the atonement. Let me read to you another, another verse, and that will also give us an understanding, because you're right, Craig, you're right. There is a cleansing. In Numbers chapter 16, verses 46 and 47, it says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer, put some incense in it along with burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord, the plague has started. And so Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. So there is, in the Old Testament, there is this idea of coals or burning incense uh, being used to bring about atonement for sins. So there's this idea that we see in Isaiah's mind as he's having this vision of this seraph coming up with a coal and burning or purging the, uh, the sin from his mouth, representing his being or his heart. And so I went on with my thinking. And in my journal I wrote, so I understand that Isaiah's words in, in verse 5 were that he was a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And I understand the imagery of having the sin purged through burning is appropriate. 
But I'm not given any information about the motivation of the seraph. Why did the seraph go and get the coal and purge Isaiah? Did God tell the seraph to do this? I don't see that there. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just not recorded. Did the seraph just on his own say, oh, dirty, we got to clean him. Was it possibly that there's a normal function of the seraphs that any time a creature that is unclean coming into the throne room of God, the seraphs go and get a coal and clean it? We don't have any of that. We don't know why. But as I was reflecting on this and thinking about it, the word grace just kind of was whispered to me. The Lord said, By rights, Isaiah should be dead. By rights, Isaiah came into my presence and he was not clean. And he, and by rights, by, by justice, by the law, he should be dead. But remember last week when I talked to the kids about the scepter being extended? This is a form of grace. Whether it was God telling the seraph to go do it, or whether the seraph's protocol was to do it normally, or whether the seraph just did it on his own, under the impetus, or if you will, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the cleansing took place, the atoning took place, the purging took place as a gift. You see, Isaiah didn't ask. Look at, look, go back and look in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. He says, Woe to me! I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. There was nothing in there where he was repenting of his sins. There was nothing in there where he was pleading for forgiveness. There was nothing in there where he was doing anything other than going, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. That's what he was doing. But God graciously purged him, atoned for the sin brought about healing so that and we get into the next verses where the calling is put on his life which we'll look at next week I read to the kids this morning out of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 it is by grace that we have been saved through faith this isn't from ourselves it is a gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast But why? Why was it important? Isaiah was called of God. Isaiah was, had a mission from God. Why did this happen? Why was it recorded? Why am I reading it? What is the purpose that God has for me to understand with this? And I came across a really cool thought from one of the... Uh, one of the scholars that I read this week. His name was Oswald, and this is what he wrote. Sinful, arrogant Israel is going to be the holy people of God to whom the nations will come to learn of God. But how can this be? Chapter 6 offers us the solution. Sinful Israel can become servant Israel, when the experience that Isaiah experienced becomes the experience of the nation.
When the nation has seen itself against the backdrop of God's holiness and glory, when the nation has received God's gracious provision for sin, then she can speak for God to a hungry world. You see, God called Abram out. And he said, I want you to come to a land that I am giving to you. And then when Abram got there, God changed his name to Abraham. And he said, through you and through your people, I am going to bless all nations of the world. And so God's plan from the very beginning was he was going to bring about salvation to all humanity through the Jewish people. But if they were vile, foul, defiled, sinful, they couldn't be a channel for the grace of God. They were useless in bringing about the salvation of all humanity. And so what we see happening through Isaiah's prophecy, and we'll see next week, there's going to be a purging and a cleansing of the nation of Israel. And ultimately there will just be a remnant left. That which is clean and holy and righteous and living for God. And it is through that holy remnant that ultimately the Messiah will be born. And we will then be able to come into right relationship with God through grace. But there had to be this cleansing and this purging from the sin. Now again, bringing this into my world and helping me to understand for why is this here? Because yeah, that's a really cool story, but what does that have to do with me? What is it about my life or my call or my ministry or whatever? And the thing that I heard God whisper to me was this. Bob, if you've got a dirty mouth, and I don't mean a cussing mouth, I'm talking about dirty self. If you've got a dirty mouth, no one's going to listen to you. Because they'll see inconsistency. You will literally lose the opportunity to speak truth and love and life. Because they will see something different coming out of you. It's like, like we read in James. Can salt and fresh come from the same well? Can blessings and curses come from the same lips? This should not be. And so for me, I've had to step back and say, okay, God, search me. Is there anything in me that will hinder your work in this area? Am I living in any way that someone out there sees me living that way and says, hmm, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. Help me, God. Search me. Isaiah, I mean, in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Help me, God, to be the person you want me to be so that I can be a conduit of grace. One last image, one last mental thing, and then we're done. I live in a property that has a well. 
Some of you do, some of you don't. Every so often, we get slimy, gooey gunk. A lot of times it's when you flush the toilet, because it settles in the tank. And then you flush the toilet, and there's all this orangey, slimy, gooey stuff that comes out. I was pulling water out of one of our crocs, which is our drinking water, and a whoop happened, and I was like, uh, what was that? And it was a gray, slimy film. And it's called biofilm, for those of you. It's a technical, it's a biofilm. It's just organic stuff. There's nothing bad about it, but it's just, damn, nasty. And see, we live in that kind of a world where we don't have treated water coming through our pipes. We have well water, or we have cisterns. Either way, it's possible for gunk to happen. You could have put good in, but you don't get great out because it's sat too long or it's, it's allowed to fester, if you will. For me, that's an image, and it breaks down after a little bit, but for me, that's an image of what it means to be a Christian, but to not be careful. To not stay connected with my God through the reading of the word, through silence, through meditation, through prayer. And if I allow, or if I, if I don't have those disciplines in my life, then I allow the gunk to start developing. So I may be clean, I may not have done any sin, but I start getting a smell about slimy. Nobody wants to be near that. And so every so often it's good for me as a Christian to take inventory. God, is there anything in me? Anything at all? And you know what? When I sit quietly like that, it's amazing. It's amazing. One of the things you'll find if you ever fast the vilest, filthiest, nastiest, gunkiest thing that's in your life, in your heart, will rise up to the surface while you're fasting. And you'll be amazed. Well, I didn't even know that was there. Exactly! You've got a dirty mouth and you've lived with it so long you don't even know it. But it's not hopeless. Because God has the power to purge, to cleanse, to bring about healing. And it's gracious. Sometimes you don't even have to ask for it. He knows your heart. He'll just do it for you. But there are times when he says, I want you to be intentional about it. And so, as we get ready to have our communion, I want us to be intentional. I've already done this searching and examining, so I'm good, I think. But I'm going to spend a little bit of time before I take communion this morning, just making sure. Because I know that there's even been stuff even this morning where I've said, felt a little unsettledness in my spirit. I'm like, huh? Is there stuff going on? I'll take some time. But I want you to take some time. The Bible tells us that anyone who takes this meal in an unworthy manner brings condemnation down upon themselves. The Bible says that this is for all Christians. And so if you are a Christian, Regardless of whether you're a member of this church or not, you are welcome at this table. But you are only welcome at this table if you're a clean-mouthed Christian. Get the meaning? So I want you to take a few minutes. I want you to examine your hearts. 
I want you to think carefully about where you are in your walk with God, and that I want you, if there's a need, I want you to confess and repent before you even think about coming up here. Then when you're done, you can come on up, take a piece of bread, take a drink, and, and just do it quietly, privately yourself, and then we'll be finished. I'm going to pronounce a benediction now so that the service is over, and then you can come up and spend whatever amount of time you need with God, and then have communion, and then leave. So again, if you're a Christian, you're welcome. This is bread and grape juice. We don't use alcohol. Number two, Craig, I've got a slide already prepared. Okay, you can turn the volume down. Um, and then again, when you're done, if you would please leave the sanctuary and close the doors and do your visiting out in the hallway, because God may be doing stuff. Enough is said. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you this morning for all that you mean to us, for all that you've done for us, and especially for grace. And we ask, God, now that you would just examine our hearts and help us. In Jesus' name.